as we continue in the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 15. We'll be reading from verse 50 to verse 58 this morning. I tell you this, brothers, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall be changed. We all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we shall be changed. For this perishable body must put on the imperishable, and this mortal body must put on immortality. When the perishable puts on the imperishable and the mortal puts on the immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. Amen. Our children are dismissed and you may be seated. As we begin this message this morning, I'd like to, in a way of an introduction, uh, read a couple of other scriptures. Second Timothy 3.16 reads, All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for the training in righteousness, that the man of God may be competent, equipped for every good work. In the letter to second, the second letter to Peter, or Second Peter actually, uh, verse one, chapter nineteen, or uh, verse one, chapter one, verse nineteen. And we have something more sure: the prophet, the prophetic word, to which you will do well to pay attention, as to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Knowing this first of all that no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. And then finally, uh, Scripture from Hebrews uh, chapter 9. Very familiar verse for you. Verse 27 of chapter 9 of Hebrews. And just as it is appointed to man once to die, and after that comes judgment, so Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time, not to deal with the sin, but to save those 
who are eagerly waiting for Him. I finish with that verse because I think it's important to note we only live once. We only have one lifetime. And I know that that's... I'm probably preaching to the choir when I say something like that. But, you know, it's important to say and, and maybe someone that listens online might not have that background. Uh, but the reality is, is that we have one lifetime. That's it. And within that framework of the lifetime, we have to make a decision as to where we're going to spend eternity. And the only way we can spend eternity with God is through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ on the cross. Our faith in the reality that He accomplished what we could not because of our sinful nature. We've all sinned, fall short of the glory of God, and we all deserve the wages of sin, death. And yet, through Jesus Christ, we stand righteous and holy because He has covered us with His holiness and His righteousness. So with that, we we start this message. Uh, Paul is writing to to the Corinthians, making sure that they get this squared away and correct in the sense of the resurrection and what's going to happen. And so he's been talking about it in various formats uh, throughout the, this last uh, this chapter of chapter 15. And he starts with the reality of, of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And again, what was the problem with the Corinthians was that they had fair, a number of cult religions that looked at the flesh as something inherently evil or unclean. Uh, the primary uh, group of people that held that belief were the Gnostics. They even believed that Jesus came, but not literally in the flesh. He, he came uh, and came upon Jesus after He's born and, and uh, leaves before He dies type of thing. And so, this idea, is, as Paul is trying to establish, is no, Jesus physically was a man. He came in the flesh and died for us. But His resurrection proves that He is exactly who He said He was. John, we read from John this morning, you know, He is the resurrection and the life. If we put our faith in Him, we shall live eternally. And Paul wants to make sure that people understand this was a bodily resurrection. And so in this section of Scripture... uh, verses 50 through 58 in chapter 15 of 1 Corinthians, uh, he tells us, first off, uh, what can't happen. In, in verse 50, he says, I tell you this, brothers, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. In other words, what is perishable, he goes on and defines it, what is perishable, what, can, what decays, it can't inherit the kingdom of God. You can't inherit the imperishable. And then he goes to this this picture of, I tell you a mystery. And, you know, language is is one of those things where if you don't understand how the person heard it in their language, sometimes we don't understand fully what is meant. And what the, the this word mystery for the people hearing it at this point in time. The, uh, the, it had a, a slightly different... Normally, I think of mystery, you might... You know, the kids, if they were in here, they would be thinking Scooby-Doo or something like that. 
uh, you know, some unsolved crime, whatever. Um, but well, let me share with you uh, the definition. I was going to give you the the dictionary definition, and it, it just got so complicated that I I resorted to a, a mentor of mine when I was in college uh, by the name of Red, Ray Stedman, and uh, uh, you know, he says a truth that our human sense can never discover. That's what a mystery is. A truth that our human sense can never discover. That no scientific investigation will ever reveal. That no amount of intense research on the part of man will ever unravel. In other words, this is something that man can't understand. A mystery, by the way, isn't a secret though. Because it's something that God has revealed. So as He reveals it, it becomes a mystery to all of us because we can't prove it scientifically. We can't go into a lab and, and, and repeat the experiment or whatever. And so a lot of people say, well, that's, you can't believe it if we can't prove it type thing. There is an act of faith that says, I have to receive this based on what God has said. Now, we have witnesses. That, remember, this was something so important to, to uh, Paul as he wrote this. Uh, you know, he started, like I said, in... in, in Going back, in verse 20, he says in chapter 15, in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. And he goes on and he, uh, earlier, he's talking about the resurrection of Christ and the many witnesses. All the apostles and up to 500 people, most of which are still alive. He, he was making sure people understood this has been seen. He ate with them. They touched Him. You know, they, they worshipped with Him. They... Yeah, you know, it was it was an experience that was beyond comprehension. There was nothing for them to equate it with. Job's question: If a man lives and dies, will he live again? Was finally answered clearly. Yes. And so the mystery was, uh, you know, that picture of of we shall not all sleep, but we shall be changed. I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall be changed. And by the way, the we in here are all who have accepted Jesus Christ as their personal Savior. It doesn't. It, the, there's not, no universal salvation involved in this statement. The statement is clear uh, when you put it in the full context of what Paul is writing, that he's speaking to Christian believers, we shall be saved. We shall be changed. Now, what's really neat, and I love this phrase, this will happen in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye. Obvious question. What is a moment or a twinkling of an eye? Well, the word moment refers to the little change of light that occurs when you blink. And not a conscious, I blinked. It's the unconscious blink that goes on and keeps your eyes, eyes liquefied or you know, moist. Okay? And, and so, the, the idea is, is that every time you blink, it's a slight change of light when that happens. That's what a moment is in this Greek context. The twinkling of an eye is an added way of, of, of adding this idea. It, it happens so fast. So quick. 
And another part of this uh, definition was it happens so quick that the time cannot be divided. Now, somebody's going to turn around and get into nanoseconds and all these other kinds of things. I, I'm not, I'm not going to, to go there. The, you know, the bottom line is, is that what the idea was is that it happens instantaneously. You're not going to linger around for a while saying, when's it going to happen? When's it going to happen? It's going to just, boom, happen. And he says it's going to happen at the last trumpet. And the idea, you can go into Revelation, you can go into Thessalonians and talk about this, but the idea is that there's a trumpet sound when Christ announces His return and the resurrection and it happens simultaneously with the last trumpet. Are we going to hear the first trumpets? I don't know. We don't care. We don't have to. If we're still alive when it happens, it's just going to happen so fast that you're not going to have a chance. To, to rethink it. And by the way, people who are waiting for, to hear the first trumpet before they accept Christ, that's not the, it's not the way it works. I'm just giving you a, a, a heads up on that as you share this with anybody else. The trumpet will sound. The dead will be raised imperishable. We will immediately have a new body imperishable. And we shall be changed. The we again is the believers. We shall be changed. The perishable will put on the imperishable. What is mortal will become immortal. It will put on immortality. Uh, in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, a verse I frequently refer to, especially in... Uh, Memorial services and funerals. It's, it's because to me it's a great comfort. Paul uh, writes, and I think I've shared this uh, already from the in the book of First Corinthians as we've gone through it. Second uh, Corinthians chapter five verse one. For we know that if the tent that is our earthly home is destroyed, our imperishable body is what he's talking about. We have a building. From God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. That's the imperishable body that he's talking about. Now, isn't it interesting? He, he compares a tent to a building. You know, if you have ever spent any time living in a tent for any length of time, uh, you, you, and then you get the chance to move into a building, you know, it's, the transition is from what perishes and leaks and, and, and creates all sorts of difficulties and is very small and all the different things that go with it to being secure. And that was the transition he was looking for. Was You're going from what is insecure to what is secure. You're going from what is perishable to what is imperishable. From what is, is temporary to what is permanent, eternal in its nature. So we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For in this tent we groan, longing to put on our heavenly dwelling. Now, I look around and there's some young people and there's some older people. And then there's some old people. And uh, we realize we do groan. Now, when I was young, the things I groaned at was my my... my in you know my inability to watch out where I was going, 
and breaking an arm, breaking a leg, you know, uh, traumatic brain injury, whatever. And, and then there was moments where I groaned, but I got past that. You know. But as the older I get, the more I find groaning is a part of my daily life. Now, I'm not saying groaning in the sense of grumpy, although my kids may disagree. Uh, but groaning in the sense of just, oh, I feel that. Or, oh, I feel that. And, uh, you know, getting down to the point of even seeing more and more repairs necessary to keep it going. And so he says, but, you know, so it's, but we groan while we're in this tent longing to put on our heavenly dwelling. And, and we need to, to catch that longing. Are we longing for our imperishable body with Christ for eternity? Is it something that you've put into your context of brain thinking, you know, this is something I long for? My permanent dwelling, my heavenly dwelling. If indeed putting it on, we may be found, uh, we may not be found naked. In other words, we'll be fully clothed, dressed in the sense of our, our, our eternal life. We'll have everything we need. For while we are still in this tent, we groan being burdened. Not that we would be unclothed, but that we would be further clothed so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. Isn't that a powerful statement? What is mortal may be swallowed up by life. Paul's been using the other words, what is perishable can be swallowed up by immortality. But what he's saying is, you think you're living now this is what is implied here. You think you're living now? You think you have times of enjoyment now? It's nothing compared to what is to come. What is mortal will be swallowed up by life. He who has prepared us for this very thing is God who has given us the Spirit as a guarantee. We have the Holy Spirit as a guarantee that this is going to happen. When we confess Jesus Christ as our Savior, accept Him as our Savior, we are indwelt by His Holy Spirit, by the Holy Spirit, by God the Holy Spirit. By the way, I heard someone was commenting the other day we were talking, and he says, I'm only human. And I said, you're a believer, right? And he said, yeah. I said, well, then you're more than human. You're supernatural. You have the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. We are supernatural with the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. We have eternal life. We have imperishable bodies coming. We have this building in heaven coming. We have the security of knowing through Jesus Christ. He is the resurrection and the life. His bodily resurrection is given over to us. He has completely forgiven us of all of our sins. What is, you know, only holiness can come into heaven. And because we have sin, you know, we're, we're supposed to, you know, the wages of sin is death and, and, and eternal separation from God. But through what Jesus Christ did on the cross, we have eternal life. And we have it with God in eternal bodies. And this is the, the gift that He has given us. So as a result, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. There is no judgment. When judgment day comes, we stand uncondemned before the throne of God through the blood of Christ. Isn't that an amazing thing? Isn't that an awesome thing? So at the last trumpet, we have all of this going ahead of us. 
life is going to, literally, life is going to just really get started for us. We shall be changed. And again, he says in verse, you know, verse 54 and 55, you know, when this happens, you know, the perishable puts on the imperishable, the mortal puts on immortality. When this happens, then shall come to pass the saying that is written. And this comes out of Isaiah chapter 25, verse 8, when he says this is written. Death, where is your victory? Death, where is your sting? Now, the sting is, is to be more than, understood more than uh, a sting of a bee or something like that, although that could be critical for some of you, <laughs> possibly. Uh, but the idea is, is that it's, it's more than the, the, the idea of something just a, a quick like this. It's more of the idea of the sting of death itself uh, is like being run through with a sword. Death, where's your sting? Where's your victory? Death was the consequence of what? Sin. Sin separates us from God. That has been conquered through Christ on the cross imparted back to us as His righteousness becomes ours. We are justified. And I love the old saying, and people get tired of hearing it sometimes, justified never sinned. And within that framework, we become imperishable. We have life. What is, you know, mortal has been swallowed up by life. And what is written is, we now have victory in Christ. The sting of death is gone. Uh... And the, in the it says the sting of death is sin. That's what causes it. The power of sin is the law. Now, please don't misinterpret that. The law isn't sin. It tells us what sin is. All of the law was put there to show us what holiness is and what's required to be before a holy God. So that we would see, I can't get there. On my own, I need something to intercede for me. And all through the Old Testament, and you look and study the tabernacle and all the other things, all of it points to Christ, who ultimately intercedes. All the sacrifices of the Old Testament were rolled over into the sacrifice of Christ once and for all. The power of sin is the law. And, and it just simply the law is what tells us what sin is. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory. What's the victory? The perishable to the imperishable. Mortal into life. Thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, stand fast immovable. Now, what do we stand... You know, the idea of standing fast means, you know, you, you think that, you know, trying to be, you know, perfect and all this stuff. No, stand fast in what He's told you here. Have a confidence. Hang on to it with a fierceness. Don't let somebody steal this from you. The fact is, is that what we stand fast in, what we stand immovable is, is in the fact Christ has been raised from the dead. And then he says, abounding in the work of the Lord, 
the work of the Lord, you could go back and 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 uh, look through the scriptures, different things. But I, 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 the thing I put down here is the Great Commission. We are to go out into the world and share Jesus Christ with everybody that we can, for everybody that God opens the door to. Doesn't mean we're to go out there and you know beat them over the head with the Bible or anything like that. It just means that given an opportunity, pray for an opportunity to share with your co-workers, with your neighbors, and sometimes it happens with a person on the street. And it's not up to just the pastors or the elders or the leaders of the church. It's the body of Christ that's commanded this. We are all called into this great commission. And then it says, this labor... Serving God in this capacity, looking for the opportunity. He says, this labor is not in vain. It's not without purpose. It's not without meaning. And it's not without reward. Now, I don't mean reward for me, but it's not, in other words, the reward is seeing those that do come to the Lord. And it doesn't matter what their age whether a, a, a young child or an old person. I recall I had a, a, a pastor right when Kathy and I first got saved and in the church we started going to. He, I, I, I don't know how, he wasn't an evangelist in the truest sense of the word. He didn't have really the gift of evangelism yet I don't know how else to describe it because he was responsible for so many people coming into a relationship with Christ. His, his form of evangelism, though, was, was not the typical format. But he, he, he shared, he, he did Bible studies in, in uh, retirement homes, in uh, convalescent homes. And, and one day, this person in his 80s, in a wheelchair, could not get out of the wheelchair, period, unless he, somebody helped him and put him into his bed. Okay? He couldn't change his own clothes. He accepted the Lord. And he says, well, when do I get baptized? And everything starts scratching your head. How are we going to you know, baptize this man? Well, he says, how do you do it with anybody else, basically? And so, and he didn't want to do it in a in a tub at the the convalescent home. He wanted to do it at the church. So we were fortunate. We had a rather large baptistry that you could walk into from either side and, and down the steps and all. And in his wheelchair, boom, 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 down the steps, and tilted his wheelchair back, put him under, and brought him up. And he was rejoicing. Now, what is really interesting is two young men in our congregation went every Sunday and picked him up and brought him in on a stretcher and then put him into his uh, chair. He died just a, a, a few months after that. He was saved. He, was, he put off the perishable and, 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 and moved into immortality. And by the way, we are already... It's an amazing thing to say... We're already there, but not yet. 
You already have the immortality inwardly. Your soul is saved. It is immortal. You're going to heaven. You have eternal life. You have imperishable life ahead of you. You, you know What is mortal has been swallowed up by life already. It started in us. I recall, just a side note to this, somebody kind of shocked me at one point, but uh, this young, well not so the young old lady, this lady was in our Bible study Sunday mornings, had been in church all her life. And she made a really crazy comment, which shows to me that she really didn't grasp this. She says, it's not really fair. He was 85. He only lived a few weeks after he got saved. And I've had to be a Christian all my life. Please grasp this truth. It's not, I had to. I got to. I got to be a Christian. God saved me at such a point. And my life really, at that point in time, began. Abounding in the work of the Lord. Getting, you know, sharing the, the, the Christ with others. That's your labor, and it's not in vain. It's not without purpose. It's not without meaning, and it won't be without some success. You may never even see all the success. And there's some people that will question after you come to the Lord, at least they did with me for a while, was, what's in it for Bobby? Yeah, they were, just weren't sure. And it wasn't until I did my dad's funeral that my uncle came up and said, oh, you really believe this, don't you? You know, uh, he, you know, sometimes it's hard to see a personality completely change. But that's what God's in the business of doing. And He's looking to us to pass it along. So for all who accept this message of what is mortal swallowed up by life, God has given us a symbolism or a a chance of coming around the table of of communion, of thanksgiving, of remembrance, and sharing in what Christ has done for us. And we're told explicitly as we share this, not only to take the bread, take the cup, and we'll go over that in a minute, but, but to do it until He comes again. The promise of that imperishable eternity life is tied to every time we share in communion to remind us of what an awesome God we have. What an amazing future is ours. What is mortal will be swallowed up by life. The perishable overcome by the imperishable. When we do communion, we ask people to come up and and pick it up up here in the front. Uh, I ask that you would take it to your back to your seat, hold it until we've all been served, and when we finish singing the communion song, we'll I'll come back up and we'll share it together. that this victory that we get to be a part of come about. It's because there is 
a Redeemer. Let's stand as we sing There is a Redeemer and then you can come on up and I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when He was betrayed, He took bread, and when He had given thanks, He broke it and said, This is My body, which is for you. 
Do this in remembrance of me. Let us share the bread. In the same way also, Jesus took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me, for as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until He comes. Let us share. Father, we thank You for the opportunity to come to the table together, for the symbolism that You left behind, for us to recall the awesomeness of what You have done. That through the cross, the shedding of Your blood, through Your giving of Your life, buried Your physical bodily resurrection, proving that You have the power and the authority to give us what You have promised. We thank You that we can rest with confidence that this has covered us. Again, that we can stand. If we've confessed You as our Savior, if we believe that You are the Son of God, You tell us absolutely we are saved. No condemnation. Again, no condemnation for those who rest in Your salvation. Thank You. We worship You. We praise You. And we ask now, Lord, that You would go with us. In Jesus' name, Amen. Let's uh, close with this thought. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Amen. Lord bless. So we have refreshments in the back if you have time to stay and visit for a few minutes. Regardless if you can or not, God bless you this next week. We're going to sing the doxology, which is a uh, wonderful song to uh, end the service with. And it's going to be a cappella, so let's sing it nice and loud like maybe you believe it. Let's sing together. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him all creatures here below. Praise Him above ye heavenly hosts. Praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Amen. God bless. Yeah. Take care. Thank you for being here this morning.